Yeah, this is really annoying with Discord. I mean, with, with Twitter spaces just randomly not working. It's so annoying. Thanks, Elon. <sighs> Bro, for real. Why is it broken? I mean, it's already terrible on a day-to-day basis, and now it just doesn't work all of a sudden. I know. It's like, it's like a bug fix where you break everything instead of fix it. It's like, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but I, hey, at least it worked. <laughs> yeah, now I feel bad because everyone has to like come into here. Yeah, I think it has. Like, know. I know. I, th- I think the space had probably, what, like 100 people that had set reminders. Yeah, 101 people. Yeah, 103 now, dang. Well, hopefully people see it. Not sure what else we can really do. Yeah, that's too bad. So who's psyched about Edge Wallet? Oof. And not Edge Wallet. Oh, I'm, I'm also psyched about Edge Wallet. Uh, but Trust Wallet. Oh my god. Dude. Trust Wallet. Amazing. It's here. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, when was that first rumored? Like, well over a year ago, right? <laughs> I think there's been like on and off discussions for probably about a year is is kind of how this whole thing happened. And I mean, they have like a pretty like solid business and they have a lot of different things that they're, uh, you know, doing for their users, obviously. So I, I, I think the way it kind of goes, they're like, oh, yeah, we're definitely interested. And then, you know, some, some time goes by and then some more time goes by. And then, you know, follow up. Yeah, it just, it just takes a while to get this stuff, like, off the ground, especially with such a big team like they have. So uh, it, it's amazing to finally, like, see it going and then see the see all the swaps come through. Uh, I mean, the, the, with just a couple of days of data here, like, they're, they're doing pretty, pretty nice for the, uh, for the week, even though it's really only been live for, I think two full days now the 14th and the 15th do you have the stats in front of you you want to read off anything what's up guys hey Hey, yo erdonis yeah speaking of which i actually i'm like writing their weekly report right now i do have the stats in front of me um so they this week uh 336 swaps came through trust wallet um they had a refund percentage of 2.3 percent which is really good um, giving them some recommendations on how they can lower that further. Uh, they did 200K USD in volume, which puts them at the fourth largest affiliate. Uh, ThorSwap is the largest affiliate, then Thor Wallet, then Shapeshift, and then Trust Wallet at this point. Um, so pretty solid. I mean, we, we've we've been tracking their swaps throughout the week. Um, and, you know, basically the only education they've done is that one tweet, um, and also users need to, you know, physically update their app to access, uh, these swaps. Um, and this is only Android. So they have a whole, you know, you know, millions of other users that are on iOS. Um, so we definitely expect this volume to continue to uptake as more users download the app as they release it to iOS and as they kind of roll out some more educational content for their users. 
Um, and as people get familiar with that these swaps are now, that these kind of cross-chain routes are now available, uh, we expect uh, more, more users to keep coming back. And so this, the, we expect this volume to you know, exponentially increase over the next few months. Absolutely, yeah, for it to be that strong, just in the first two, three days with just Android, not everyone updated, no iOS, uh, limited education. I mean, that's a really strong signal that it's going to ramp up quite exponentially once once all those things play out. So that's, yeah, strong. Yep. Yeah, it's been it's been great. And I just love like watching their swaps come through. We had a two Bitcoin the ETH swap uh, this morning. We had the 13 ETH swap a couple of days ago. Um, those are the those are the meaty swaps that we want. So uh, just about to call that out. Two Bitcoin swap this morning, really juicy. <laughs> that's quite quite juicy. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to run the numbers on what the liquidity fee was at for that. Let me pull that one up. It's like 130 rune or something like that. I checked it earlier. Don't don't worry. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but really. So are you are you saying that? Uh, Trust Wallet is now the, the fourth biggest in, in total affiliate volume? Correct. Yep. So there are 10 active affiliates uh, currently. Um, and yeah, Trust Wallet is already the fourth largest. I mean, Thor, ThorSwap, you know, kind of blows everyone away. They're doing 4.8 million uh, in USD volume weekly on average, you know, at this point. Uh, Thor Wallet's doing... Uh, 350,000 USD, Shapeshift is doing 260,000, and Trust Wallet uh, 200,000 uh, this uh, this week, this past week. Um, and we're trying, and we're starting to track uh, percent of Thor chain volume that is that comes from affiliates. So basically, it's like affiliates are our bots. Right now, we're at 7.8 percent, which is relatively low. And like, kind of our one of our KPIs is to basically increase that percentage as much as possible just so that more of the volume on ThorChain is actual users and not our bots. But what is interesting is that 23% of liquidity fees, basically 23% of yield that's going to the LPs is from, uh, is from affiliates um, and not our bots, which is, which is pretty solid. Um, and so, you know, again, those are the two pretty important KPIs. If we can get, you know, 200% of swap fees coming from affiliates, then as block rewards continue to decrease, yield will not be impacted and, uh, you know, the reserve will, uh, you know, have a constant kind of revenue stream. So that's that's kind of what our, our uh, you know, long-term goal is. And that's before iOS is even released for Trust Wallet, which, and before anyone really even knows that, Thorchain is is in there. Like as you said, they only did very small amount of promotion, and we're already seeing this. You know, pretty pretty good volume. It, it's decent volume for sure. And there, there's swaps coming in every you know every couple of minutes, basically. Uh, so I mean, that, that's looking super positive right there, and, and sends a signal to a lot of the rest of the industry. I think just just showing how reliable Thorchain is, and then you know, that, that it is reliable infrastructure there to use and have power to swap. So like not, not only is this reached a huge amount of users, but it just puts, it just puts Thorchain in that, in that context of like, Hey, this is the, this is the industry swap provider. Right. And it'll just make it easier to do future integrations. And uh, especially once it gets to iOS and this, like it proliferates more, people become more used to the flow of, of swapping. Uh, it's really smooth swapping in Trustwall. They they really nailed down the, the user experience. So 
it's like lo- a yeah. long time coming, but you guys yeah. did it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, I'm so bullish on uh, just trust UI UX understanding. I mean, I think that's such a key reason why they've got the market share that they do. Um, and now, like even releasing the the browser extension, hopefully we see more chains added on that side, and 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 even swap functionality there too. I'm I'm sure that's pretty likely. But even even their extension, it just comes out day one, polished. Things work well. Clearly, they they know what they're doing, and that's actually still kind of rare when it comes to UI UX in in this industry, you know. So, makes me really excited. Yeah, yeah. one of the smart things I think Trust Wallet did was uh, so. First off, they're well, they do have BUSD as as a, as a swap option, obviously through through Thorchain. But the other swap routes, like BTC to ETH, for example, you don't actually see a dollar quote anywhere in there. Like, you don't see that you're putting in. $17,000 worth of Bitcoin and getting out 16.9 of ETH. It's just a, uh, a conversion rate, basically. Like, they, they don't, um, they, they don't, they, they kind of abstract all that away from, from the users and just make it just the, the simplest swap flow possible, which is like, like, to me, that seems really positive because it, it especially when you when it's not a because there's doing it in the amounts that you're actually swapping it in so you're um you're abstracting away the the, the dollar amounts from it which i think is the right way to do a swap that, that's what every other swap swap platform does right it's not like oh the, uh this is this is how much fees are being charged all, all, all fees are just abstracted away into the you know into the exchange rate on most of these exchanges which is uh, kind of the way that that trust wallet presents the the, the trade to the user, which I think is, uh, you know, it just prompts more people to swap and just say like, yeah, this this is the exchange rate for Bitcoin to ETH because it really is the only swap route. So that's the way that people are gonna end up taking. Rather that's a really than be like, good. Oh, uh, I'm losing a couple dollars of value here swapping, so maybe I'll just stick with it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Instead of breaking down every fee, every all, all slippage, all that, just saying like, hey, here's the rate. It actually makes me think of like, you know. Uh, just like using Coinbase or something, like what most normies are used to. It's like if you go to sell some Bitcoin, it's just like, well, you're going to get 16500 And it's like, wait, the price just said 16900 Like, Like, what's happening? It doesn't, it doesn't actually break down that fee. It's just like, it just presents it. Here's the rate. So that's kind of seems similar to just like abstract all that away. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't actually notice that. That's a good point, though. Yeah, and the other thing... Uh, that makes me bullish on trust wallet volume is, you know, now that now that the discussion of adding BNB chain is kind of ramping up and we're kind of in a prime position to do that. I mean, nodes have voted that that's the next chain they want. And I would almost expect Binance BNB chain or Binance Smart Chain volume on trust wallet to be higher than Beacon Chain volume. Um, just because it's kind of more popular in DeFi, there's probably more activity. Um, and so we kind of already have a built-in you know, volume stream for that chain, unlike, you know, kind of like AVAX that we added and we, we didn't really have that. So I think, you know, in, in the early new year, if we add that, I think that's going to, you know, be another catalyst for greater volume through, through, through Trust Wallet. And potentially I could see them rivaling ThorSwap, you know, relatively soon. So that would be great. Yeah, 100%. Like, I don't even know where you can get BEP2 assets. I mean, maybe there's somewhere, some exchange that does it. There's no DEX that does it anymore. Binance DEX is kind of out the window there. Uh, And everyone that's using Trust Wallet is using 
uh, Binance Smart Chain assets. So, uh, you know, I mean, in my, in my opinion, now's the time to really get that going, get get the aggregator going. And then that's when you're going to see crazy amounts of uh, of volume coming through, especially especially Trust Wallet. But that just opens up all these other routes, too, that people are really trying to trade. Aggregator, yeah, you might have just dropped some alpha in there. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's even alpha at this point. Like we've been saying it for like like eight months now. I think maybe it is alpha to the people who just like have no idea. It's definitely not alpha to anyone in this Discord. So you guys know who you are, the aggregators out there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we can kind of assume that the aggregator pattern is going to continue to uh, proliferate. I mean, it's just kind of a no-brainer for these wallets that are already kind of interacting with the Thorchain network. It's just kind of a tacking on an additional smart contract call and opens up their users to thousands and thousands of cross-chain routes that no one else has. I mean, it's just an absolute no-brainer. Yeah, and like going along with the, the Trust Wallet integration, like the aggregator is the... Um, is like ultimately like where the goal should be. Like the, like the goal is just to get the the major layer one swaps. There is to get make it so you can trade anything through any of these apps, Trust Wallet, Edge, Thor Swap, whatever, using the aggregator, and it just roots to Thorchain, roots to all the other dexes, abstracts it away from the user, and then you know user can just use their wallet and swap easily, not have to go to a, a DAP or a DEX or an aggregator or anything like that, all just taken care of for them. And that's just ha- how simple it's going to be. That That's the, the true evolution of the, the trust wallet integration. Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm just so excited hearing that like the tune kind of changed pretty quickly around BSC with this integration because what, just a week or two ago, we were kind of saying like, it's not really new chain time you know it's going to add cost to, to nodes it's unproven and like while that makes a lot of logical sense it was also kind of a dis- disappointing thing to hear and uh yeah i know i'm excited i, I feel like the the community is just going to be super stoked to get to get a high volume chain in there and especially one that like like you said already has like we know there's going to be volume so it's win-win yeah absolutely um you know, I think I think the volume that will come from BNB chain will will you know hopefully offset the cost, the additional cost of the validators. It might you know might take a few months because yeah we we are in like a deep bear market, and that's the other thing is like you know we are we are like in a very kind of tough spot like economically speaking in the space, and the Thorchain volume has really held up like relatively compared to other dexes. I mean, you've we, we've seen like volume like decrease ninety percent, you know. In most DEXs, uh, you know, across the space in the last, you know, five to six months, and Thorchain actually has done relatively better than that. Um, and so, as we land these integrations at the bottom, and as like dominoes continue to fall, I mean, TrustWall is a massive domino, and we have already our sites scoped. On, you know, the next four wallets that we're going going after. So we get that done. We get BNB chain added. Maybe we get Dash added, and we're going to be just set up like. In a great position for the next uptick. So I'm just super pumped for that. Yeah, man, I'm I'm super pumped. We we have some big conversations happening with some big wallets out there, as Aerodance knows. And uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things to feel very bullish on, you know. And and a lot of those conversations are going rather well too. So it's there's so much so much going on that I I, I really can't even contain myself. 
yeah, it really is like integration domino season. I mean, of course, you guys at Nine Realms are are working so hard on that, and um, I'm seeing it on the on the ThorSwap side too with the ThorSwap API. Like, just the flow of how many conversations are happening these days, it's like crazy. It feels like every day or two, there's another conversation opening up with a name I didn't expect to see, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just so exciting. Absolutely. And now, now is the time to like double, double down, dial in, like not get complacent. You know, we're, 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 we're going to push harder than we ever have and just land these, land these integrations. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just psyched. One of the fascinating things we, we recently been seeing uh, on the integration side is that like, we've had some um, wallets or whatnot come up to us and say, Hey, we heard of the savers concept, like, how do we integrate with savers and offer that to our, you know, to our customers, our clients or whatever. And they had like, sometimes I didn't really uh, know that we did cross chain swap. They were just like, we just, we just want to do the savers thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dude. Like there, there's like two camps. Like, like sometimes we'll have like an, in, like a just kind of a fresh conversation with a wallet and we'll, you know, naturally start with the cross chain swaps. They're like, Oh yeah, that's cool. And then we'll talk about savers and like, oh, that's cool. Like, let's let's do that. So there, there's like, it's interesting. It, like, literally split down the middle. Like, like half wallets, like, like, like going after the cross chain swaps immediately. Half of them are going after savers immediately, um, which is great. You know, we need both. We want both. So uh, it's just amazing that, like, savers really has like, like caught a lot of attention from from these external teams, which is really cool. Definitely. Let me just say it, it's so it's so satisfying to see the the product market fit of, of Thorchain right now and how it is really just finding its niche like right at this this very critical moment for this you know entire industry and asset class basically how like you know we rolled out Savers which is just one of the, one of the most incredible products which will is really what's going to scale Thorchain's. Uh, TVL and you know, the amount of Bitcoin in its pools. And then at the same time, also like getting all this interest from these wallets who really want to uh, integrate the swaps, but also savers. Like it, it really is clear that there's a huge product market fit uh, for all of these products that, that Thorchain is offering and just a, a huge demand to actually like actually integrate them and, and use those infrastructure. So it, it's just awesome to see like the acceptance from from the industry and uh, you know, other teams and apps and things like that who just want to use these services, which is why uh, these services are being built in the first place to eventually get to their users. So really cool to see people actually using these and say, it's like savers growing so well, but then like the the business development side of everything going so well too. It's like everything, uh, you know, just, just seems like it's clicking for, for a while. Yeah, I think in part because a lot of the services that, that that the network provides are all like vertically integrated with each other. That it's natural for if one wallet uh, does you know savers to start, and then it's would would be kind of natural and common for them to integrate with swaps. And then maybe you know lending comes out and they want to offer you know Bitcoin loans to their users, and just it's already vertically integrated with everything else they're already doing. It's, it doesn't seem like it's that much of a extra effort just to support lending, for example, and it just becomes like. You know these features get pushed out from all the wallets and UIs out there and exchanges out there. It's gonna be, I mean, that's gonna make me super bullish about the project for sure. Yeah, I remember one of you telling a story a week or two ago <clears throat> about talking to one of these major wallets and they wanted savers, and then you were like, "Oh, well, if you do swaps, that's gonna create the yield that pays the savers, so you might want to consider both." And like, yeah, those those two together, how that clicks, um, 
and then the synergy between it, it's like it, I, you're going to see all of them probably be interested on both sides. Like why, why would they not when it's kind of like feeding off of each other? So either they're like feeding one side and then they're not taking the benefit for their users on the other side or they're just, or, or vice versa, right? So pretty cool. Yeah, the same thing for order books too. Like they'll, they'll get access to order books as well once that is finished and shipped. You know, all these features. Like honestly, that's the funny thing about this is like all these features we're talking about: the A and M design, the savers, the lending, synthetics, uh, order books. Like all these things are in their own right like huge advancements in the space. Like really revolutionary concepts that are that provide something that nobody else has ever done before, and and nobody else is even positioned to do it the way that the way that we can. And so like just to see each one of these features come out and just you know push the envelope even further than we already did before, it's just it's a uh, it's inspiring for sure. I think the last thing on the on the trust wallet points here is just how aligned everybody is especially just on, on the like bsc front like basically like everyone's just so adaptable that basically as soon as like trust wallet is it, shipped uh people are like all right well may maybe we need everyone like everyone's like pivots on one foot at the same exact time uh saying like oh yeah now is probably the time to start adding bsc and start capturing some some tvl and volume on on that side because now we have this huge new user base basically of people who would be swapping so it, it, it that was just one other point i wanted to call out just like how aligned and like, like no no one said anything but everyone just all of a sudden agreed for for bsc just because it's the most obvious thing to do and i think everyone sees that and uh just 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 knows that that is the right way to go so there's like instant alignment even though it was not like uh you know previously that like the number one priority so yeah, that I was remember, just cool to see from this end. I remember we were on like a call, like right, right when Trust Wallet like actually launched. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. We're watching the swaps come through, and I remember there was just like a moment where we all like, because we've been we've just been in integrations mode, and we've also been in like kind of like hardening mode, and we're just like, okay, we you know after AVAX, you know, we're gonna take a few months get these integrations landing, and then we were just like on a call, and it was you know live, and we're just like, oh my god, and then we all just like. And there's like one moment where we're like, oh yeah, we, we probably should add BSC now. <laughs> we should probably shift back into new chain mode because we had, we just have this built-in stream already. And it was just like a kind of like a one second shift. And we're like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. It's also one of the few chains that's already in their, uh, their browser extension. So maybe that's mm -hmm. something. Yeah, it would be huge to get into that browser extension as well. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know if you guys know or anything, but I, I'd be really excited to see if they kind of get like chain parity with the with the mobile app onto the extension, because then that's like a serious multi-chain browser extension wallet, and that'll be that'll be huge. I mean, it's already like so snappy and quick and nice to use. So personally, it would make it a lot more useful if it had you know Bitcoin, Rune, all that. Yeah, yeah, and it would be you know kind of a no-brainer for them as well. Um... So I think, I think we'll see it. We'll keep pushing. I mean, and I, I would love to see them integrate savers as well. Um, but, you know, this is very early on in our, you know, partnership with Trust Wallet, and I think it's going to continue to develop and only only get better. Um, so we'll keep pushing down these things. Have we uh, shared out the uh, dashboard for the Trust Wallet stuff? 
I don't know if we've kind of put it out publicly. I mean, it is a public flip side dashboard that people can kind of track. Um, yeah. Forceswap made it. I don't know what they feel about making it super public. I'm going to leave it to them to share it far and wide if they want to. But I mean, anyone could probably find it if they search through Flipside. Yeah, I mean, it is a public website in a sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I'll I'll just ping Mogarki and see if he minds. Yeah. That. Well, I mean, from the from the dashboard, just to, to go over a little bit, little bit of the numbers, I think it's okay to do so. Um, we've seen almost 400 swaps so far on Trust Wallet, and we've seen about $215,000 in trade volume. We're seeing a little over like $60,000 a day so far, which is kind of funny because um, people have to download the new version of, of Trust Wallet. So it's like, I think it'll take probably a, a, like a month, um, a full month to get the full kind of swing of Trust Wallet into the in, into the 14 fold. Um, so we, we probably won't even see this number fully be what it's going to be until, you know, a month from now, but like already we're seeing really good trade volume happening through Trust Wallet. Yeah. And looking at the daily volume and swaps, it they're already increasing every single day. So like, that's a trend that's just going to continue. Um, right. and especially when they release iOS, that's going to effectively double, if not more, I think they might have more users on iOS than Android. Um, so yeah, this is just the beginning. I mean, I, I'm so excited to see them like cranking through like 2000 swaps a day and just have the network just be like humming along and man, that's going to be great. Yeah, hopefully we get some some more content and co-marketing going as, as well because I mean right now I have to imagine it's just that you open the Trust Wallet app and yesterday there was not a swap button and now there is a swap button <laughs> and it's just some some users happen to notice that and happen to need to do a swap but but once there's kind of like that push of awareness and and people realize that that's just an integral part of using Trust Wallet then then yeah. that's going to be exponential as well. Well, I think there was already a swap button because you can swap through like yeah, there was, uh, there was, so that, but 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 not on every asset. Like so, if you uh, if you clicked on like if you clicked on ETH or something, it'd be a swap button. But then you click on BTC and there'd just be no swap button. So now just yeah. people, yeah, uh, it's just yeah. suddenly suddenly it, it it appeared without much um you know uh, education around it. So so once there's that, yeah, yeah. I think Cal can speak more to what they plan on doing, but I've heard they're going to maybe even do like a push notification thing. I don't know, Cal. If you yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. I totally forgot to, to mention that. So yeah, they, they, there's some stuff planned. We're gonna do. So we were planning a spaces with them. I think we're gonna do it in early 2023 instead. Like, there's really no reason to to burn all of our uh, our like marketing powder basically uh, in like the first week of this integration being it's not even shipped out to iOS users. So like, I think the best way to do this is kind of just space it out a, a little bit more and like slow burn this a little bit. So we're going to, we're going to do some Twitter spaces in probably the new year. I, I think uh, we're going to coordinate some stuff with them. Uh, you know, we sent out a bunch of, of PR earlier this week. I'm sure people saw, you know, news articles, Blockworks, uh, stuff like that about the, the trust wallet integration. Obviously, they, they, they tweeted about it already. CZ tweeted about it already. And uh, further than that, they, yeah, they should be, like, they did announcements on their announcement channel, which is, like, their discourse forum, uh, their Telegram. I didn't actually check their Telegram, so I didn't see if they, they pushed that or not. But they, they should also be doing some kind of push notification slash banner. Uh, like, I'm not sure the, the timing on all these things, but... Um, you know, they, they have their own uh, marketing stuff that, that they're doing, and we're, we're definitely working with them to 
you know, do as much as we can. Also, like, if there's anything with, like, Binance Academy or, uh, you know, any of the other educational things, uh, you know, we're definitely going to collaborate with them on that. So like, we're, we're definitely in, in touch with their, their like, marketing uh, staff and we're, we're working with them. Uh, you know, it, it's just a matter of, like, this isn't like a, like a hey, like a, like a time-sensitive thing. Like, this is a, a slow burn, or like a ramp up not like a uh, a drop off you know uh what, what i'm saying so it'll it'll take a while to get the yeah. to get the volume in there and like the education for the users but uh we're, we're definitely gonna get there so just look yeah. out for that over yeah, the next couple months and we'll do some spaces in, tw- in 2023 we'll, we'll schedule it with everybody once we get some better visibility there absolutely there's no rush and you know we just, you know, get get iOS landed, and then we'll be in a prime position to really kick kick this volume off. So uh, I love it. I'm so so excited. Yeah, and especially if they start integrating more features for Thorchain, then it's then you know that's just more continuation upon it. So like you know, this is just like again, this is like the very 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 start of the you know Thorchain slash trust, or just like the the, the like the Thorchain. BD plan in general, right? All, all these aren't like drop offs; they're they're ramps up, and you know, very very long ramps up. But you know, we'll get to where we need to be eventually. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Not the final form. I mean, only only three chains uh, so far, even so. Who knows? Yeah, this is definitely not the final form. This is like <laughs> this is like phase one. <laughs> I, I I think we're, we're not super saying it. All right. Any, uh, I think that's it on on trust. Well, unless there's like p- people have questions about trust, but um, maybe we should talk a little bit about impermanent loss protection. I think now is probably the the time to start to get into that and the the new ADR about uh, deprecating impermanent loss protection. So yeah. yeah, let's let's go into that a little bit. Uh, yeah, Chad, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so let's give a little history first, so people have the context. Um, so, impermanent loss protection was was uh, initiated back in the single cha- single chain uh, chaos net days, um, and the purpose of that was to we kind of read what what um, they were doing over at um, uh, what's the name of that other uh, Dex uh, Bancor. And we read that, we read about their implementation and it sounded pretty good from our perspective. Although we had a few changes. Uh, and we looked at the actual analysis of like, you know, if somebody is an LP for 100 days, like what what is the actual uh, IL that they experience after 100 days? And we found it to be like very, very small, generally speaking. But obviously it happens, but like it's not actually it's not as big as you might think. And so we wanted to, to, to add ILP as a um, to to remove any kind of like hesitation that people might have to add capital into the pools they're worried about IL and this kind of things. And so we want to be unique in that way and offer that protection. And it's worked very well. Like I think all in all, we've, I think we've um, spent like maybe 3 million or three and a half million rune uh, in payouts to ILP in total since the last two years or so, which is, you know, a very small percentage of the, of the reserve and of the pools. Um, But now that we have a new uh, way of providing liquidity to the pool that is not, um, exposed to IL, the need for ILP is kind of changed, right? Because now you can just be a saver and not be exposed to two different assets and not have IL. And therefore, 
you know, if you're if you're a lower risk person, you don't want to deal with IL and this kind of thing, then be in Saber. If you want to have a higher risk, higher reward system, uh, then be a dual side LP and get a higher yield, right? With the with the IL risks, and so I think the intention is to 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 drop ILP uh, while grandfathering in um, people who are current LPs. So if you already if you entered the LP, uh, an LP position at the time when LP, ILP existed, then you you still have it. And then once this thing is turned off, any new people that come in, or if you add more capital to a position that you already have, that would also trigger you to not have ILP for those for that case. Is that is that a good synopsis, or does anybody want to add anything to it? Yeah. Well, with the specific change, uh, like it, if this ADR is implemented, then ILP, the, the, like there's going to be a cutoff block basically of this is the last block you can enter. The, the pools and have full and permanent loss protection. And then after that block, uh, if you if you enter a new symmetric LP position, like a, like a regular LP on, on ThorChain, then you wouldn't receive any impermanent loss protection. But if you entered before that, that, that one particular block, which would be about one month after this, this vote would pass. So like, there's plenty of time for this. And this is that's why this whole discussion is uh like will be happening i don't think it's even really started yet um but people would get a month to enter in with the current impermanent loss protection and then after that uh new new lps wouldn't get the impermanent loss protection but if you entered before you would still be grandfathered in for the old uh, impermanent loss protection so i'm uh, sorry i saw pluto jumped up so i'm sure you can speak more on it no you guys are good that i don't have anything to add right now that's that's Sweet. a good that's a good synopsis yeah, and the other thing that which is pointed out in the ADR is just that uh, the basically the entire IL um, liability is completely gone at about six dollar rune, and obviously that that decreases as more fees get added to the current LP position. So like this, this is a um, there, there is a cap on like what the liability is here. So and, and that it's going down over time. So like the, the the purpose of this is basically to make some kind of cutoff date, so that way the liability isn't increasing, and then just slowly that decreases over time and just gets uh, gets phased out completely eventually as the IL completely disappears. Yeah, I mean that's it in a nutshell. Um, some people in the community have been wanting to get rid of ILP for, for a long time. They just want to get rid of that kind of that liability in a sense. Um, for me, I didn't mind it so much. I don't, just didn't think to be that much of a threat or that much of a problem personally. But um, and this kind of new direction that we're heading as a, as a protocol in some sense of um, heading towards savers and heading towards away from LPs, uh, dual side LPs as like the standard way of providing liquidity. We kind of have to rethink about how we structure some things, and so uh, I think LP has plays less of a role or less of an importance moving forward into the uh, product's future. So maybe one thing we should talk about is um, diffs and LPs because I don't think we've we talked we even talked about that for like a long time. So maybe there's people who don't like understand the uh, like the, the correlation between. The, the current dual-sided LPs and synths and, and how that relates to, to Sabres, because they're, they're all kind of interconnected here, and uh, synths play a huge role on the yield of the traditional LPs who are also affected by this impermanent loss protection. So, like, let's go into a little bit about the relationship there. 
Yeah. Basically um, the liability of since, yeah. Yeah, so like you can think about this way, that if the uh, people provide capital into the pool and then they get, you know, a claim on, you know, one Bitcoin or a purchasing power, basically. And so if after they enter the pool, if the room price underperforms the asset, meaning the, the synth purchasing power becomes more more powerful in a sense or purchases more more um, more value, then that has the value to come from somewhere. And LPs are basically the person that comes from. If Rune overperforms the, the asset, then the synth holder needs less value, and therefore that value goes to the LPs, right, in some sense. And so there's a kind of an exposure that LPs have, dual LPs have, to the Rune asset, right? And the, where they're kind of a little more sensitive to the price movements of Rune, right? It's kind of almost, almost like being leveraged in a sense, right? And how much that leverage is is relative to how much synth utilization there is in the pool at any given moment. If it's like one or two percent synth utilization, then the leverage is basically near zero and it has almost no mathematical effect, right? Uh, if it's at ninety nine percent, then on the opposite side of the spectrum, then obviously it's a huge le leverage exposure. And if Rune's performance does well against asset, you make a lot of fucking money. And if it's the reverse direction, then you lose a lot of money, right? So it it's kind of has a relationship there. Um, with ILP though, ILP kind of played the backstop to it. So even though LPs are kind of on the hook in some sense to the synthetics, the reserve is on the hook to the, to the LPs, right? So even if you get a lot, you experience a lot of losses as an LP from synthetic, you know, assets becoming more valuable than, than the rune asset, the impermanent loss protection becomes kind of like the backstop in a sense to those, to those people. So in the end, it's not even really the LPs themselves who are backing the synths, although they are in a sense. It's actually the reserve that it, it provides value to, to support it as well, right? Uh, and so removing ILP uh, from the network means that that LPs don't have that backstop anymore, right? From the, from the reserve anymore, right? Instead, they get a different kind of backstop. And that different kind of backstop uh, is done is the, what we call the POL which accomplishes the same goal in, in, in many respects. So the POL, um, when LPs are losing value, the POL starts to add value back. And it's almost like the POL is like becoming like a bodyguard or like a shield to the LPs. Like it's taking on the brunt force of these things. And so it maintains, it protects the LPs in some sense or, or form. Uh, so ILP might be coming disabled, but replacing that with POL kind of, in some sense, replaces ILP. Yeah, I think you explained it really well. Um, I actually don't think it's going to be overly controversial. I, that's just my take. But I think when you first kind of hear ILP is going away, you might be like, ah, oh, like, you know, I really love that feature and it really helped me out. But I think when you understand the whole picture and why and how it, it's, it's liability on the reserve and, you know, that just leads to the that just brings rune into circulation when it's actually being paid out um yeah i think i think people will i think you explained it well and people will understand so yeah pol is a much more elegant solution than just saying that there's insurance for lps so i'm very much looking forward to seeing pol roll out eventually at, like as the synth caps get um get increased and pol comes into play i, I the the one thing i just wanted to highlight though um 
from what what Chad was saying was just the concept of uh, you know basically since drawing down um, regular LP positions because that's like probably the most important thing to understand as as an LP uh, since since our since value comes from LP units from from the pools. Uh, if the value of LP units decrease because rune decreases more than than the asset, so that so more uh, more units need to be basically attributed to the synth holders. That's what takes away from the value of the LPs. So, uh, like th- that's that's the number one thing to know as a LP on Thorchain. If, if you're a if you're a symmetric LP, uh, it's very important to understand like the, the synths relationship with with lps because um especially as the uh synthetic liability is is changing now it's been it's been static for for a long time like six six months now and now that it's increasing that 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 changes the amount of liability that there can be on on those pools and um it increases the amplitude of those uh, of, of those movements right so i just want to point that out yeah, I have, a, I have a community question that's come up a lot, uh, maybe for Chad or, or, or Pluto. But um, could you address the concern of, you know, does this, does this make LPs no longer first-class citizens? And, and what is a rune holder to do, like, if they're not at the level of, of running a, a node and LPing is kind of now more reserved for, uh, for POL and, and, and savers depth and synth depth? And, you know, where does, like, the average rune holder kind of lie as far as adding adding value to the protocol. Um, so <clears throat> there is a mentality that some people have, and I'm, I'm starting to come around this mentality myself, that um, if this network is comprised of basically just the POL and savers, and they're more or less, I mean, anybody who, being a dual site LP is still available, anybody who wants to do it, they can. It's not like that features just can be like turned off or anything like this, but but um, if they work predominantly as just POL and savers, then it becomes a much more simple design and a much more elegant design. It becomes uh, we remove a lot of the complexities of, of being an AMM from people's mindsets, and we just provide the the value of yield for people without the complexities of like IL and these kind of things. And then the, then the question becomes like, well, can the network operate safely or scale safely with that mentality? And I think it's actually like uh, the answer. At least the answer for me is absolutely yes, just because um, the reserve has always been the backstop to the to the LPs and to the pools, and it's just now it's just doing it in a more direct way rather than an indirect way of like giving money to LPs. It's just kind of giving money to the pool itself, right? So much more effective or efficient way of doing it in some sense. Um. But to answer your question about like what are what are rune holders to do, um, I mean that, that that's a good question. You can still be a dual a dual sided LP if you want to. I think um, I would probably do it personally just because I, I'm a believer in rune and I think it'll perform very well through the next you know two years. And so it'll, it'll the yield that an LP would make in that scenario would be very high. Just because imagine if it was like eighty percent cents, for example, right? 80% of the, the income of the pool, um, fifty sorry, 50% of that 80% is not going to them. It's going to the LPs. And the LPs only have, you know, 20% of the pool, including the POL and, and you. And so 
the yield uh, for uh, a dual side LP will be, you know, kind of crazy high, right? Um, of course, it's, it comes with risks, which you should be aware of and take that into account. But but the but me being a person who's a believer in rune and, and thinks it's going to perform well, I would probably consider LPing personally. And and that scenario, even though there's a lot of risk to it, the the upside is pretty large, right? And maybe I'm okay. I wouldn't put my entire room position in that, to be honest, but like maybe small, some smaller position or something like this. Um, Wait, for I have other a question. I yeah. have a question. If you're, if, you're, if you're a long rune, why would you do an LP? You would just end up with less rune if, if the price of rune goes up. Not necessarily. It, it depends, right? So um, if, if rune's price goes nowhere, right, and Bitcoin's price goes down, then being a dual side LP, you would make a lot more money than if you had just held the room, right? right. But, but because you're taking a leveraged position on Rune in this scenario and a highly leveraged position on Rune, like, you know, if you would held all the tokens yourself, you would, you would be, um, you would have effectively like, instead of having 500 Rune press, uh, um, exposure you'd have a thousand because you're just holding it yourself just buying it like you were holding so you'd have that much much exposure but having half of it and be a bitcoin half of it be in rune with a highly rune leverage position maybe it's like it's like it's basically like having 1500 rune or 2000 rune or some quantity i don't know i'm just making up numbers off the top of my head here so it, it, it depends on the amount of leverage and the amount of price change that happens in a sense yeah the, the way i see it is like I used this analogy before, but like dual LPs will essentially almost become like algorithmic traders. I mean, I think I think we're we're gonna see the most usage of dual LPs from from bots and from from highly sophisticated players who are essentially attempting to smooth out the demand for um, for savings. So when there's high demand for savings, POL only will still drip in capital at a at a steady rate, and so dual LPs may come in to essentially uh, arbitrage the demand on the savings side of things. Um, and essentially, I, I don't think that many people are gonna use dual LPs for like long-term, um, like long-term just like Cartier investments. It, it should not be used for that. It should, it should be essentially used to uh, take advantage or essentially like a, it's, it's, it's basically like taking a, um, a, like a, like a three-x leverage position on wherever, whatever way you think the market is going to move, um, and I think that it'll be it'll be mainly people like settling intraday, like they might enter a dual sided LP and then exit within like you know an hour or something if they start seeing um, you know a market move. So what what I really liken it to is like the uh, demand generation at like the top of the um, of like a power grid, right? Where you have you essentially have like your renewables and you have you know your 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 uh, nuclear and your forms of energy that are like either sustainable or cheap to operate. Um, and then you have like, um, you have types of energy that are a lot more expensive to operate, but um, you can sell them for a lot more because uh, you know, it's easy to bring them online quicker. So you can, you can, you know, use them to like smooth out peak demand. Um, and that's where like we see, that's where I kind of liken like, du like dual side LP is almost like, like, like a coal power plant, right? It's, it's a, it, it's not for everyone. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's dirty in the sense that like, there's a lot of risk um, going into it, but you have an opportunity to make a lot of money with it if you know what you're doing. 
if you don't know what you're doing, just stick to the basics. Just be a be a saver, and you know. So I think where I think that leaves the question, and like, and you know, to Chad's uh, Chad T's question about what are you to do if you're a room um, holder and you just want to like, you know, basically contribute to the network somehow. I think a, a couple of ideas have been floated before we talk about the um, on the security side. Um, Chad, I know you uh, had some ideas about whether people could participate in the protocol reserve or in protocol liquidity itself. What, and I, I, I seem to recall you said that that design might not work. So what would, what would prevent me from like, you know, uh, depositing to the protocol reserve so that I have a stake in the protocol and liquidity? Why wouldn't that, why wouldn't that design work as a way to do like single-sided staking for room? Um, so that, that, that you, is possible. You could do that. Uh, the, from a technical perspective, there's not much reason why you couldn't accomplish that task. The question is, um, how does it provide value to the network, right? Because if you're providing room to the reserve to be used for the POL, the amount of room that the POL needs to deploy in any given pool is, de is determined, right? It's determinate. And it doesn't really matter if you provide a room or you didn't provide room, the amount of room in the network for, for, from the POL's like, position is the same, right? So you providing room to the POL to, to you know, provide capital for it, to, for it to deploy doesn't actually change the amount of room that's being deployed into the pools, right? So you're not actually contributing to the depth of the network, depth of the pools. And so, and so it becomes less valuable from the network perspective of what it's trying to accomplish. But then you have the question of like, well, do people provide room to different pools so they can pick which of the POLs of which chains or which, which asset they want to provide room to? Or are they just going to apply the room to all the different things and they get price exposure to all the different assets, right? Or do you do it kind of similar to savers and say, it's a rune on rune thing, in which case there's like now a synthetic rune in some sense, interest-bearing synthetic rune in a sense, and then that actually would probably increase risk on the protocol rather than decrease it, you know, and the question is, is it worth that additional risk that the protocol had to take on to, to accomplish that task? Um, to me, it just feels like, I know people like the idea of, hey, I buy a token and then I stake that token or I do something with it and then I, I get more yield from it. And the problem with that mentality is that you cannot generate yield from within yourself, right? It's like, it's like you cannot pick yourself up by your own belt. It's, it doesn't make any sense, right? The only way you can generate like actual yield is by providing a service that somebody else is willing to pay for and then pay fees to do so, right? Like when somebody provides staking into Atom, for example, and they put up their Atom tokens and they stake it into some validator, you are not providing a service or something valuable that anybody else gives two shits about, right? Nobody cares whether or not Chad Thoreau stakes his atom tokens into a validator set or not. You're not providing value. You're not providing service. You're not doing anything worthwhile. In which case, what that means, because nobody's providing uh, a service that somebody else is willing to pay for, well, then how does it, how does it generate yield? Well, it steals money from everybody else. You're, you're, re you're basically reallocating, like in a very socialistic mentality, you're reallocating value from, up, from one atom holder and you're giving it to another atom holder for whatever reasons or purpose. And you're basically just like cannibalizing your own community, which is just structurally, I don't personally agree with that mentality at all, right? And so 
in order for people to provide rune and get a yield net rune, they have to do something that is valuable to the network that the network is willing to pay you for, right? Being well, a, I, I also think I also think they have to take risk too. You know what I mean? Like there is no free lunch. You you if you're if you're doing anything with capital, it means you have to take a risk on it, right? You right. have to be willing to say like I'm making an investment. It's possible that I get this payout, but it's also possible that I don't. Right. And this idea that like crypto is just like an endless wellspring of money, of free money that people can, you know, and I'm speaking directly to staking, this concept of staking. I mean, I also hate it. And I think you're completely right. Like you're not providing any value by staking. So I've, I've really appreciated that ThorChain has resisted the urge to implement some kind of, you know, uh, just like staking vault mechanism um, for Rune. I, I think that it's it's completely... Um, backwards to the goal we're trying to accomplish here, which is to get Rune deployed into the system in a way that helps the protocol. Right, right. I mean, I, I'll always stay open to the idea of finding a way to use Rune to to generate a yield, but uh, the ways that I've thought about thus far are just not, you know. So what about what about if there what about if there's like a like a, a a protocol reserve like front front loader front load pool right where like instead of uh, dripping, um, like basically, if that pool is empty, then it uses the protocol reserve for POL. But if there's anything in that, um, in that, um, in that vault or whatever, then it uses that before it uses the protocol reserve. So people can basically say, "I want to stake my room to go to the front of the queue to get my protocol-owned liquidity, um, my, my my rune added to the POL to the protocol-owned liquidity, and then essentially that." is taking a share in the overall PL of of pol yeah you can do that but then the question becomes well, why would the pol give space to like to pluto to provide room when it can just do it itself with its own capital and make its own reward right well, like because a, that, i mean I, I think the idea is at some point right you're gonna you, we're gonna deploy 30 50 you know 70 million dollars so 70 million rune of 160 or maybe even 80, maybe even half the protocol reserve. I don't know, maybe didn't, who, didn't you guys float something as high as like 100 million for protocol for POL? Um, okay, so no, sorry, there, like, we, we were saying like 80 million in bond. If we were thinking about like, what, are, what, what, is, the, what is the ideal, um, you know, equilibrium of the system? I, I saw yeah. someone, someone floated some numbers. Yeah, so that's becomes, that comes down to the idea of the synth caps. Right, so the higher we place the synth caps, we'll say we put them at like, you know, eighty percent. Let's just say, and that means we need. So that means for every like dollar that goes into to savers, we need to deploy twenty five cents from the, the the pol, right? And so we don't need a hundred million. We actually could become more capital efficient. We need, we need, you know, twenty million, right, instead of a hundred million from the from the actual reserve, right? And it goes even I higher. I just want to point out for anyone in the audience, what, what you're suggesting, 85% synth cap is crazy. That is that is fractional reserve banking. That, that is saying there is not... Not fractional money. reserve banking. Come on, man. It's, it's, it's literally it's, the opposite. Of, it's like you're it's, literally the opposite of fractional reserve banking. No, it, yeah, it's, saying, it's saying that the amount of debt that we have is not backed by one-to-one by, by any real assets. It's saying that for... For every twenty synthetic Bitcoin there in the pool, there's only like fifteen or twelve no, no. real Bitcoin. It's the opposite. It's not the pool that's backing the, the synth at that point. It's the reserve. That's the reserve. The, the actual it's, L1 assets. That means there's no longer 
20 Bitcoin for at 50 at 50 percent, right? At 50 percent synth cap, there's there could be 20 Bitcoin in the pool and there could be 20 Bitcoin worth of uh, worth of synthetic Bitcoin. And if all the people that went to go redeem their synth um, did so, then the pool would essentially not have any more L1 Bitcoin. What you're saying is that if you want to raise the synth cap to 85 percent, I'm talking about L1, right? Not not Rune, not I'm saying that the L, amount of L1 asset that is backing the synth is less than the amount of outstanding synth. And that is just crazy to me. That is, okay. So let me understand. I, let me explain some things to you. I think, I think you might be missing here, right? All this, all this synthetic asset does is it, it makes it basically a promise that it's worth the same as like a one synthetic Bitcoin is worth one real Bitcoin in purchasing power, right? It doesn't really matter if that is, that, that purchasing power is coming from an actual physical Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin's aren't physical, but you know what I mean by that. Uh, or if it's coming from Rune, or it's coming from Reserve, or whatever. It doesn't actually matter. The question is whether or not, can I redeem my synthetic Bitcoin for one actual real Bitcoin, right? And we're not doing any kind of fractional thing where it's just like, oh, we have a thousand synthetic Bitcoins, but you know we only have purchasing power of 10 Bitcoins, and so now we're doing this fractional reserve thing that you're referring to. That's never the case. <laughs> It's never fractional reserve. It's always much more collateral or much more purchasing power than the value of the synthetics by a good margin, by orders of magnitude, in fact. So Where it's not, does that come? It comes, it comes from the pool and it comes from the, from the reserve. Because reserve, in fact, is the POL. So if you get to some crazy situation where the synthetic value is going up for some reason, right, and the room value is more or less staying the same, for example, and we've now gotten to a place where... Um, synthetic value is greater than the value of the pool all that just means is that the pol just deploys more room until it gets to the point where that's no longer the case like, like, like the actual pool like the amount of rune in the actual uh in the pol like deployed into the into the actual pool doesn't really matter all that much it's what's actually what's backing it is not just the like what it's deployed but what it has to to, to deploy as well do you well, know what, what, I mean what, happens, what happens when you reach the max amount of network deposit for the for pol do you, do you look at the issue of, of being like essentially um, underwater on those synths and you say, okay, well, all we need to do is just raise that. We need to keep raising this. We need to keep, you know, um, essentially dripping more rune into the pool. Then you just right. end up like Luna Foundation where you're just selling, you're just selling your token to be able to what? acquire Bitcoin to backstop. Yeah, yeah, you're just trying to cut, you're trying to, you're trying to fill a hole. You're, you're, you're selling your token to uh, buy an asset to fill a hole. Okay, let me, let me explain. That max POL thing we are talking about, the only reason why that exists is just to slow roll the release of the POL itself. But at the some long... point you run out of you run out of dry powder, right? At some point you just you run out of the ability to do that. It's not infinite. Right. It's not infinite, but neither are the pools, right? If if we didn't have the hard caps on the pools and people could deploy, you know, five hundred billion dollars of of Bitcoin into savers. Then I'd totally be on your page. I'd be like, oh, well, now we're in real trouble, right? But there are caps on these things, right? The value of the rune in the reserve far outweighs the value of the of the uh, the assets in the pool and the synthetic assets and all those things. Far outweighs, and it, and it and mathematically pretty much ensures that. I mean, technically, it's possible in some extreme scenario where like rune's price goes down like thirty x or something crazy like this, but like. Generally, there are hard caps on these things to to ensure that this not doesn't go into some wavy, you know, fractional 
reserve thing that you're freaking talking about. It's it has orders of magnitude. I think it's like five or six x more available to it, right? Not to mention the reserves actually making money uh, probably as part of this because it's owning twenty percent of the pool with a high leverage position, so it's just going to make a massive quantity of money. It's just part of the process. But like, so I don't really consider that to be like, at least in my view, people are welcome to disagree with me on this, but to be unnecessarily a, a large problem. Does that make sense to you or no? Yeah, I just, you know, okay. All right. We can, we can move on. Um, let's talk about, <laughs> on the, let's talk about on the security side. Like it, I, I, we recently floated the idea of increasing the number of bond providers for a node and then allowing anonymous, anonymous node, uh, node providers essentially. So that like someone could bond into a node where they may not even necessarily like know that person. Um, that was floated as like a potential way to, you know, allow people to fake rune quote unquote, you know, just if they don't have the minimum amount to run a node themselves. Um, what did you think about that? I, I think there was some, some split opinion on that one. I mean, I personally dislike it. We've always had the stance that allowing anonymous people to provide capital to anonymous people to secure the network is, you know, to me, that's not secure. What, I would about, be what, about, what about if the node operators are like semi-docs? You know, like what if, what if they're so quote-unquote trusted entities within the Nine Realms ecosystem? What if Warsop is running one? What if Nine Realms is running run? What if yeah, but XDFI running one? Why would we want to lean in the direction of of trusted? Like, why are we why are we going to introduce the idea of trust into the network all of a sudden? Because I think I think what's going to happen is that like people don't need our permission to do this today, right? Like like we can't prevent someone from spinning up like ThorSwap from, for example, spinning up a DAO and saying, "Hey guys, we're just going to accept rune deposits and then we're going to put it into Node for you guys and we're going to pay you out." So like. It's like a kind of like a black market thing, right, Eric? So if we try to ban it from happening, people are just going to go underground with it, which that is a more trusted relationship than if you can do it at the protocol level where it's like non-custodial and people can just deposit into it, right? So I'm just kind of trying to think ahead. Like if the demand, if, if, if we see bond APYs go up to like 200%, somebody somewhere is going to be like, well, fuck, I'm going to leverage my reputation in this community. I have 200,000 Twitter followers. I'm just going to run a fucking node and accept, you know, room deposits from people and do it anyway. So, like, I, I don't see how we can prevent that from happening once it becomes that lucrative. Right, but we can't prevent people from doing that, and we can't prevent people from doxing themselves as, as nodes. All we can do is, is establish culture. Like, I don't, I wouldn't publicly tell people, like, do not give your room to some random person who says they're going to, you know, build a node with it. No, nope. people are going to do it anyway. <laughs> I mean, if they if yeah. you want to... If you want to do it, you can, and you you know you, you might lose all your fucking rune. It's, it's I'm not, I can't stop people from you know taking um, risky actions, but to sponsor that from the protocol's perspective is even is I don't know it's even worse yeah. from my perspective. I think there's a steelman case to be made for increasing the increasing the amount of bond providers to 100 or so and uh, like I, I think the reason for that is um you know people this is just like the, the argument you know for increasing the amount of bond providers uh obviously like people want to know that the door chain network is decentralized and i think anyone that's been here long enough knows that it is like it is pretty decentralized and there's a lot of different 
uh, node, node operators who have a lot of different interests and who all you know work together to make this network work. But um, I think like from an outside perspective of especially like people who are not currently in the network saying like oh you, you could start a start a Thor node and obviously this is this is a this is a trusted relationship thing where you need to know the identity of the of the people who are running the node or have some kind of recourse where if they did somehow you know do something to you or steal from you you at least know who they are or have some kind of way to take action uh against them or at least you know have not not just be like damn they just stole all my money i have no idea who they are or anything about them right but it, it does create uh, obviously a lot more trust for the validators but at the same time it it gives the opportunity for new validators to come up where they they wouldn't in the first place where there, there isn't that like initial capital to start the validator so instead you can get these community pool validators where it might not have the same trust assumptions as like a completely anon validator set but you would get that uh you you would you would know that there's these groups of people that are that are running these validators that are obviously like separate from any other groups in the network it just increases the uh perception of decentralization in the network just there being more node operators from from different entities like it, i think that the thor swap example is, is perfect if they started running nodes as, as a DAO, um you know had some kind of some, some kind of way to, to minimize trust there obviously that 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 is like the crux of of the issue i i think um just the amount of trust that you need to give to them with, with your with your rune but you know there's plenty of businesses that exist like that uh that, that like, like today already so um just not in, not in Thorchain yet so i i think that's a a valid argument for wanting to increase to say like a hundred or, or something. I, I think once you get into the, the realm of like, you know, thousands and, and Adam, uh, like, like, you know, cosmos style, then it becomes kind of, kind of different. But, um, I think that there's a valid argument to be made for, uh, you know, the side of being able to spin up more bond providers. What do you guys think? I mean, I, I would vote against it personally um, if I was a voter. Um, but also, also because, in part, because the mechanism we, we are planned to scale the bond is not by allowing random people to, to bond to random people, which creates security risks and issues. Instead, it's, it's the lending design to create a, a large quantity of <clears throat> buy and burn pressure on the rune asset to scale the rune price that scales the bond, which scales the security. Like that's the way to do it. Not so much to like, let's just like reduce the security of the network and just, just because we're, we're greedy to get a, a deeper bond. Do you think it actually reduces the security of the network? Wouldn't it just be the security of those individual people who are bonding to it? Because I, I think adding just new nodes to the network, even if, you know, they're uh, doxxed, does that actually decrease the security of the network itself? Well, the problem is that, like, how many of these nodes you're talking about are run by one person versus different people who are or are not colluding with each other? So they like, but can't like can't people be given like the sort of latitude to like determine that? Like, right? Like, it's like okay, nine realms run. We say we're running one. Thor Swap is running one. Like now, we've essentially opened up. 1.8 million worth of like staking capacity for the the community. Like, I think that would 
make a lot of people really happy, right? A lot of Thor chads would love to participate in that. And like, we know that, you know, Thor swap and nine realms are likely going to, you know, keep their word when it comes to the fact that like, you know, how many we're running or whatever. I, I just, I, I, I can, I, I do see your, your point. Like there could be, you know, some cabal of people who are running these, like, you know, they're all colluding together and they all have like all their alts on, you know, crypto Twitter are each shilling their validators as being like separate, but they're really all like acting together and colluding. But like how many people, how many Thor chads on stage right now would actually just like, you know, stake to someone who wasn't like a known community figure. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, I don't think people are just going to stake to random validators. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the way I see this more as is just being like, Oh, Binance is running a, a, a Thor node and wants, wants bonders. Obviously like Binance has enough room to run their own Thor nodes or whatever, but uh, I'm saying like, you know, tr trust wallet or edge wallet better like a better example like a smaller wallet wants to run their own infrastructure but they don't have the upfront capital to do that so they could you know source it from so the then, community and you yeah. right and like obviously like there are that, these problems that, that come up with chad's thing but i'm just saying that like you know it, it, there there's two ends of it here where i think you know there's the negative end and there's the, the positive end of it also would it really be hidden if like let's say thor swap did it and like you didn't know how many nodes uh they were running well if i go to thorswap interface and i deposit rune like wouldn't you be able to track like oh that went to this node i mean so wouldn't couldn't we like figure out how many an, a, a doxed uh operators I think is running you guys you guys can you can send it to multiple addresses like each person has a different address which goes to, to a different node and you're operating multiple nodes like we've yeah. always said from, from the beginning that we want nodes to be anonymous we don't want them to be doxed we don't want them publicly talking about who they are you know where they run the node physically geologically speaking we don't want people to like have that ability because all of a sudden i know i'm you know i'm running a node and i know that flu is running a node because he's part of nine realms and i know chad throws running a node because he's part of thor swap i know familiar cow is doing it because blah, blah blah whatever and then i start dming all you people and saying let's let's cause this whole thing to crash and let's or, or something like this it's like some malicious kind like of action why would any of us do that <laughs> well none of us We're would actually do that obviously i'm just saying that like yeah. Part of it the protection at that point. Yeah, like I don't want anybody to trust that Pluto was cool, and Pluto won't do something malicious, or me, or Chad Thoreau, or Familiar Cow. Like this whole thing is designed to be trustless from the get-go, and the idea of inserting trust for the first time in the protocol's history is, you know, against everything that it stands for. At least, at least for me, so, that's true. So, so my question is, how is this different than like kind of what's already happening? Because like, are we already there? Already are bond providers, and obviously that's limited to I think five or something like that. But it, like, it's already very. It's just a, a scale up of kind of the the already what's kind of the business model of of nine realms of you know having bond providers and then running infrastructure for others. Um, so, how do you guys think so about that particular thing? Because so it's already kind of happening. That's because in this in that bond provider scenario, you have to be doxed between, or rather, the operator has to be doxed. The the provider doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be, but you have that ability to to know who you're operating with, and then you have the ability to have you know legal repercussions on that person if they were to do something against the best interests or sign a contract that says they will not you know do X Y and Z or or whatever. And you can't do that in a, from an anonymous perspective, nor can you do it on some sort of large scale with like a hundred different providers. You have to find like you and a couple of your friends to get together, run a node together, right? It doesn't really change much in that regard. 
but allowing anonymous people on the on the open protocol, I think would be detrimental to its safety. Don't yeah, I kind I mean I definitely get where you're coming from. Um, let's look at the other side of it. Like, think about if your trust wallet right now, and we told them like, hey, you know, um, Nine Realms could run a node for you, and you can just have all your users stake by just sending a transaction with this memo to you know the the bond module and then they would immediately be earning you know single-sided rune yield through your app you guys could take an affiliate on that or whatever you guys like you know you can take a fee through like you know, we, we figure that out right and then so now there's there's some agreement between like trust wallet and nine realms like where you know we basically have have Find a contract with them that says like you know we will not rub their users so like there's there's essentially that same legal agreement that you said there but basically on behalf of all the people that they're putting in the front door through um through their app right and so what that then does is that then creates a it brings us closer to entities like trust which i think you know, that's obviously something that we want is that, that more more people in the ecosystem more big players in the ecosystem are like you know it's just it just means like Thorchain and Rune is just gaining notoriety and it's gaining reputation. But then it also, it encourages their users to actually buy Rune, right? They, they're going to want to say, hey, buy Rune and stake it to our node directly from within Trust Wallet, like on the Rune wallet page, right? Like they're just, you can see, you can see like how this just opens up new possibilities for new products or stronger partnerships for more capabilities um, for, you know, just the average Thorchain user. So you know, I, I think I think you know that, right? I think you you get that, and that's just kind of the other side of this, right? But it's just, you know, at some point, right? Like, the, we are we are constrained in how much we can scale this network on on the bond side, and there are only going to be so many people that um, you know have the risk tolerance to hold nine hundred thousand, you know, rune, and and for that really to be a major investment and a major you know thing for them. So, I, I actually I was asked this by the um by a community member i had a call with a community member the other day and he was saying you know like uh, i have you know i have clients who um they don't really like they don't take a they don't take a position if it's like less than you know 30 mil 40 million you know like big, big family offices wanting to get in, involved in nascent crypto and you know our name or your name come and came across our desk and blah 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 blah, blah. i don't know how legit that is or not but you know, he's just basically saying, like, you know, the, I'm I've been looking at your guys's um, tokenomics and everything, and like the big thing I want to know is like how how do you guys scale this from being like to basically being able to have like a billion in TBL? Um, and so and so, I mean, like let's let's go through those things real quick. And I think there's a number of things that we've talked about on this call, but let's just let's just go through them all really quickly. So, Chad, to your point, like creating buy and burn pressure on the rune and price asset itself via lending increases the price which increases the value of the already bonded rune so that's like one way we could scale the network right um we just talked about like um increasing increasing the number of bond providers or or rather decreasing the uh barriers to entry to becoming um a node operator um that's another one that we just talked about we also talked about um, being able to take a stake in um, in protocol owned liquidity, like whether that's like, you know, some uh, I, I personally like the idea of, of being able to like choose which pool you want to like 
you want to add a rune into. Um, so that so that's you know definitely designed to explore. What else? What what other ways can we, you know, and 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 it can either be like like allowing the network to scale or just like allowing more people to participate, whatever that is. Um, can we think of any other ones? So are you, are you trying to think about ways we can scale the bond or ways we can scale the, the TVL? Well, I, aren't those two sort of like interconnected? I mean, there's a relationship between them, um, yeah. scale, but they're, but they're, it's a very different um, procedure or process to scale one versus the other, a very different mentality. That makes sense. So, like, I think, at least for me, the solution to scaling the, the TVL to me is going to be savers because there's a massive quantity of people who want to earn, you know, ETH on their ETH or BDC on their BDC. Like, this is one of the most brilliant things about Thorchain as a project that really don't doesn't get enough attention or, or credit is that every other layer one in crypto is trying to beat every other layer one. Everybody's like being argumentative and combative, and it's a you know, it's a um, it's a zero sum game. And like Solana is trying to take out um, Ethereum, and Apex is trying to take out Solana or whatever. Same thing with like like layer twos, Arbitrum, Polygon, these kind of things. They're just like fighting these battles with each other. But what's so unique and different about Thorchain is that it it actually doesn't do that. It does the op opposite of that. It's not trying to beat Ethereum or beat Bitcoin or beat anything else out there. It's just trying to contribute significant value to them. And so by pulling on that string as a methodology to scale the pools by having them getting Bitcoin yield in their Bitcoin or ETH yield in their, or their ETH or whatever, or Dash or Doge or whatever it might be, like that can scale this thing so much farther like the, the 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 market cap of all those tokens combined to the to the depth of the security of the network is like was it like ten thousand x like there's there's i mean that, i think that that's why i feel like we basically solved the, the the liquidity issue and that will scale naturally uh with the network pretty pretty easily i think this, this is my two cents this scaling the the bond though is a very different different beast. We've talked about scaling the bond on and off since the beginning. Since we heard, since it's we hit your favorite, it's, it's your favorite subject, Chad. It it is a, a difficult subject like that one. Like scaling the volume through integrations is relatively like easy. It's just about selling an obvious and easy like and perfect product for trust wallet or whatever. Scaling the the pools became easy once we actually understood the savers concept, right? And we, we still have the same, the same problem, how we scale the bond. And that's a much more difficult and complex way to do so. And despite my best efforts and other people's best interests to figure a, cre a creative way to allow random people to, to bond randomly into the network, I, I, to be honest, I just never found a way to do it in a way that maintained economic security. So that's why we started yeah. to reach out to scale the network, the bond, not in terms of a total of rune deposited to the bond, but scale on the other side of the candle, which is, you know, what can we do that that, that creates buy pressure on the rune asset in significant ways, while also actually providing a really good and valuable service that is actually, you know, people are willing to use and pay money to use rather than just like some Ponzi-nomic bullshit, you know, of minting to infinity or, or you know, promising some ridiculous yield that it doesn't make any sense. And so I think we've done that with the with the lending design. I think that's the I think we should give that a try and see how it goes before we Yeah, know, for sure. Yep. 
What, cool. um, good good discussion there, I think. All right, whatever. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> if you have more to say on that, you can go. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. I was just going to start throwing out crazy ideas, but we can save that for another oh, time. Oh, we're, we're at that point already? Crazy yeah, ideas. I love crazy ideas. I love crazy ideas. I like crazy ideas. It's, it's, it's too close. We're on Discord. No, you know, it's, it's, it's not Twitter this time. Like, it's just Discord. We're good. <laughs> we're good. Yeah. <laughs> what if we get rid of the bond and we have Trump uh, digital cards be the, yes. the bonding asset instead of room? What do you guys think? Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> I was thinking this morning, what if there was only one rune and it was just fractional rune that was, you, you, just, you just deposit like, you know, no, 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 400,000 tour. <laughs> <laughs> what about this? All right, but actual crazy idea. What, all right, so what if, and so like, I think, okay, imagine, imagine we like hit the security cap because, you know, it's so expensive to provide, um, um, you know, imagine like the collateralization ratio, like is, is, you know, we're kind of just like running, you know, running hot, right? Where we're just like, okay, we've written up a bunch of loans and, you know, we've got a bunch of, you know, TVL due to savings and we've hit the security cap and we kind of just like run out of, or, or, or potentially maybe what if we even like hit the throughput, right? Like what if we just are processing too many transactions and, and we can't extract any more fees and, um, and you know, so we're so we're kind of just like stuck, right? Um, what about um, have you given any thought to the idea of like sharding Thorchain? So basically, like creating, ending up like essentially satellite networks where it's just like maybe it's just like um, ten or twelve validators get together and decide to essentially put up all of the um, Bitcoin and Rune needed to just basically run like a, like almost like we were talking about with vault nodes before, but um, it's just like one asset, one pool on its own sort of like side chain. And then it uses IBC to beam native Rune back and forth. And then you can just expand the TVL of like Bitcoin by just using, by essentially like depositing into the, into the, you know, Bitcoin Thor chain, you know, side chain. Is that is that crazy, or, or or would something like that work to basically, if we found that like okay, like ninety eight percent of you know the TVL is Bitcoin, we just like are we can't we we want to become this you know liquid Bitcoin liquidity black hole, and we want there to be more Bitcoin in in um you know in Thorchain than on all the sexes combined. It is how how do we do that without like without like spinning up new networks that have like different security um essentially just like different security envelopes right like like can you have is that possible are there, are there things that we we should just start doing research on now that we have a solution in place when we when we do hit that we, we actually did talk about this concept uh a long long time ago i was <clears throat> i actually was living in australia for a little while and in the earliest days of like the architecture design of this network and me and kind of like the early people um, you know, it would sit every day with a dry erase board and, and draw different ideas and concepts. And we would go to lunch together and just start throwing crazy ideas at each other all the time and trying to think of solutions to problems, which we eventually found. I and mean, that's what Thorchain is today in some sense. Um, but the reason why we, we kind of went against the, the notion of like multiple multiple chains or multiple networks that could all kind of cohere into one large one in some sense or form is because, um, first of all, the technical complexity of that would be significantly higher. 
right? To be able to, to communicate across multiple chains like that, would, I think would just make the product even more ambitious, even more complex than it already is uh, at, at the time. So it wasn't something I really wanted to take on in the earliest days, but also um, it creates like, you know, a little bit of a Frankenstein security model where where the security of the Bitcoin is different than the security of the Doge than the security of the Litecoin. And then that becomes a difficult thing to reason about of like, what if I provide my, my Litecoin into this network, like what is the security model here and why is it different than every other asset? And that just becomes another layer of complexity that the user has to comprehend, which is just, you know, as complex as the network already is, we didn't want to put even more complexity on top of all that, right? So for me, it's like it's probably just not worth the extra security, um, extra technical complexity to maintain and build that and the bugs and possible exploits and all that kind of stuff. And it just made sense to keep it a more of a uniform uh, structure that would be that gives everything the same security, the same design, the same, you know, more or less everything. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think, I think it does open, there are some really novel designs that you could come up with. I mean, when, when you guys talked about that back in the day, did IBC exist? No, IBC didn't exist until like a year ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was talked about, it was like something on, on paper. Right. Yeah. And it's part of the reason why we built or built Bifrost is because IPC didn't exist and it, and if it did, wouldn't be able to accomplish the things we needed to accomplish, like integrating with Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example. Um, and, yeah. you know, to be honest, I was always very bullish on IBC. It wasn't until I actually started to like really get into the weeds of it and, and try to try to implement it on Thorchain that I become more bearish on, on its design just because I was really bullish on it. And I think we all were. I think you were there too. Like you and me and Gavin, yeah, yeah. We, were all, we were all like, like, let's get IBC integrated. We were all like positive. And every time we tried to do so, there's some layer of, of stupidness that, you know, would just break everything. And we're just like, none of this makes sense to us. And we just like kept hitting our, our heads against the wall for months, trying to figure out a way to make this thing actually work and still uphold the standards of security that we we kind of put forth to begin with. And it was just, it was just too difficult yeah. to be honest. I'm, I'm just thinking because like we've been having, um, I don't know if I can say this, but we've been having conversations with like like centralized exchanges who want to start using Thorchain as their asset background, as their asset infrastructure, essentially mm -hmm. to be able to have um, proof of reserves from day one with an integration, right? Just basically being able to outsource this whole problem, this whole headache of, you know, whoa, we have, you know, like, Proof of reserves and all this like auditing and all this it's like it, it's actually going to be easier in the future for sexes to just wrap um um dexes which i think the thorchain twitter account was alluding to this morning at some point um but anyway like there's 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 interest among um centralized exchanges to wrap the um the in, the you know the thorchain infrastructure and so i'm just wondering if like um, you know, I, I just think that like the, the security is going to be tough if they're like, well, we have, you know, a billion dollars in Bitcoin deposits. Like, how do we how do we transition that over to your system as quickly as possible? Um, is there you know, I'm thinking about like, is there a way to do that that allows them to leverage the technology of Thorchain while not being like a thousand percent within our system yet? So they still kind of like retain control over um you know um like their design but i was i was almost thinking like like they can just run like a private validator set of their own thorchain sidechain 
And then all they have to do is put up like one-to-one Bitcoin with Rune. So they buy a bunch of Rune and then they basically can use that to extend the existing liquidity pools. I don't know. I'm just, it's just, it's crazy, but. You're talking about like I'm just trying... them like expanding, like having the public Bitcoin pool, like, but then and they uh, append to it their own private liquidity that only they have access to. Is that what you mean? Ah, something like that. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's 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 just it's just the idea that like floating yeah. around. Is if, if is there a way to like take a centralized entity who will always be centralized, but allow them to somehow participate in the Thorchain network while essentially contributing to um, the the liquidity, but like so basically like. They could be using Thorchain for all of its like you know transparency benefits, but they would still be like their users would still be transacting with the their Bitcoin pool, but just using um, Thorchain and basically creating some incentive for them to like buy Rune or whatever to use it in their own private network or something. I, I don't know. It's, that sounds stupid. Never mind. I mean, I I just got a a message today from Kyle Samani over at Multicoin. He was like asking something similar to this question. I'd like. Are there any centralized exchanges that are looking to, you know, be the fiat on ramp, off ramp, but not do any of the actual like crypto trading? And then instead of all of that just gets like pushed on to Thorchain, right? So they only just carry dollars and maybe they carry, you know, Bitcoin or maybe, maybe it's stable, depending on how they want to structure it. And they just, and whenever somebody says, hey, well, here's some dollars and I want, I want Doge, it takes the dollars and it sells the Bitcoin that it has into Thorchain. And then the Doge gets sent to, um, you know, the Doge address, whatever address that might be. And so, like, that is an interesting concept, um, but it's not really using its own private liquidity. It's actually just utilizing liquidity that already exists. They don't, even, they don't even necessarily have to have much for liquidity other than just to, like, you know, back the value of, the, of their dollars and their Bitcoin or whatever to, to interact. But I think that's a fascinating idea, whether or not somebody will actually do it or not. I mean, it definitely won't be ThorChain, but maybe, maybe Thor Wallet would do it. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, here's an interesting question from, um, from the thread. I, I wanted to get to this one. Um, Yangu via basic says, uh, what are we going to do to scale stablecoin TVL further? Stablecoin will not be a part of savers yet. The depth of stablecoin pools will affect lending UX. Um, what do we yeah so when we get rid of when we get rid of impermanent loss protection too there's really no incentive to do lp on stables so unless you're like already grandfathered into ilp so what's the yeah what do we do about stable coin depth on thorchain how do we scale that um i mean that's been a debate i've, I've had with other people other devs of like should we allow uh savers for for stables and I've been personally kind of leaning against it, and other people have been leaning for it, and it's, it's kind of a, a debated topic. Um, it's not actually all that important that, uh, that, the, that the stable coins are deep. They don't have to be $100 million deep to, to work and do the, what, they're, what they're designed to do. Um, <clears throat> when you're actually getting out your loan, you're, you're getting out, you're probably going to be getting out, not, not like a two to one ratio, but like a 200% CR, you're, you're probably something closer to six. Probably, I'm guessing. And so, like, if you put in a large quantity of money, you know, swapping your Bitcoin to derive asset Bitcoin, and that be the, your collateral, the, your, you're going to take one one eighth of that or one sixth of that or some number, whatever the hell it's going to be. 
to get your to get your stables, in which case the swap fees matter less because your your debt is a lot less than your collateral. Um, yeah, I, I'm not terribly concerned about it personally, but if it actually does get so shallow that it becomes problematic, then you know we can we can talk about that. But there is a lot of drive for value into the savers already, just because arbitrage bots use um, uh, stables as their kind of their settlement asset. So there's a lot of trading happening on the stables more so than other assets relative to their depths. So it, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We, we can adjust as we need to adjust, but I don't I don't think it's a problem we're going to really going to need to solve personally. Uh, on that. Can you remind us just what's what's the main argument against stable savers? Um, the main argument that, that at least that I have is that um, we only have so much security in the network, right? So much room on the bond side to secure this network, and we want our we want our uh, our pools to be deep, the ones that are actually going to be used, right? Because I think we've all kind of like acknowledged at this point that. You know, people aren't going to trade to USDC on ThorChain for the most part because you can just do it on via you know dex aggregation and and probably get a better price, right? Um, and so, why are we going to spend the time or the spend the security, um, you know, the security space if you want to call it that, on a, to make a pool deep that you know really isn't going to be used all that much other than just being more or less a price oracle for uh, the Tor asset, which is for the lending design, right? Uh, I'd rather have the pools, we have, like the primary asset pools, the gas asset pools to be as deep as possible, personally, rather than getting UCC to be, you know, $50 million deep or something like this. I guess even with lending, the borrow asset could be using the aggregator, right? Like it could be, you could be technically borrowing ETH, but then it like uses aggregated liquidity to get you to, to USDC or something. So I guess the main concern is just the just the price oracle sort of concept, right? I mean, because in my mind, I would think you would want that to be deep because it seems like if you can manipulate that, then you're kind of manipulating how lending is pricing itself. Um, but then the question is, like, how do you actually keep those pools deep if they're not really needed for, for swaps and all that? Well, the lending design... Uh, it has price manipulation protections built into it that is irrespective to the depth of, of the pools, right? Uh, it doesn't actually matter how, how deep the pool is because it's measuring the price change that you're applying to a particular pool, not so much how much rune you spent to do so, or that that, that would be relative to the pool depth, which would be problematic uh, in terms of protection. And that, and that that's super lit. Like I want to point out, um, I didn't know about that at first and I was just kind of like gaming through it and, and I was like, Oh, this could be an easy way to attack the system. Yeah. And then Chad explained this to me. And then I realized like, you, you can't do this on Ethereum. You can't do this on Aave. You can't chain link can never do this. Like, no, like it's, it's so sick. Like you can only do this on a, um, on a cosmos network. I think if someone correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but yeah, it's, it's one of these things that's like, <clears throat> like uh, again like there's there's even if you wanted to replicate our if even if you decided like oh wow the orchain just came out with a really novel lending design you would not be able to do it on ethereum or any other um evm based chain to my knowledge which is crazy you have to remember that the that the pools are always manipulable right they're just liquidity pools anybody can trade any volume they want in any direction of any of the pools right and if you're if your defense against manipulation is the pools are deep therefore it's too expensive to attack. 
Well, that becomes, you know, just depends on how much the the attacker has in, ter- in terms of capital, right? If you have a wealthy enough attacker, they can they can spend $2 million on fees to push the Bitcoin price down or push or up, depending on which direction they're trying to go. And then, you know, open up a $10 million loan, whatever, where they, where they you know, receive $80 million in, in, in debt. I'm, just, I'm making up random numbers here, but like you can't rely on the pool depths themselves to be your protection because they're always manipulable. You have to start with that assumption because they are, right? So instead of relying on the depth of the pools to protect the network from manipulation, we use just plain out mathematic uh, approach. So it's not really matters how the depths are, is a question of how much percentage change of the price has been pushed in this pool for the last, you know, 30 minutes. And that's some number. And depending upon how large that number is, is how shallow the, the virtual depth of the derived asset pools are. Okay, that's blowing my mind right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to get my head around this. So, so even if the pool is shallow, if, if the price of that stable coin has moved dramatically, that's what it's factoring in. Like it, it, it's almost like has like an anchor point and it's not about the depth. It's about if it's off from what it was. Yeah. It's looking at the, the price change, right. Of the, of the pool as a percentage, right. It, if the pool has gone up 10% or 80, let's say, say the pool has gone up 180% in, in, in price in the last 30 minutes. Right. It's, Cause obviously somebody's manipulating the price at that point. Right. <clears throat> like that would cause the virtual pool to become really, really shallow for the for the derived asset thing. But if it's just regular trading and it's like 10%, 20%, blah, 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 whatever, then it would be, you know, fairly deep relative to the layer one asset, right? So it's not, it doesn't really matter if the pool is a million dollars deep or a billion dollars deep, the responsiveness that the virtual pool has is the same, right? And so even if you spent less money to create a manipul- manipulated situation, manipulate the, the 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 price and therefore make the pool very shallow the virtual pool very shallow well then whatever amount of money that you then blast the lending design to either open or close your loan depending on which angle you're going at it you would pay so much in fees because the pool is so shallow that you would pay much more in fees than the cost you spent um to make the to manipulate the price that's 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 the theory at least Yeah, I'm curious to see how it ends up working in practice because, like, I I can visualize it, but it's uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see w- what it looks like when we actually start getting into testing for that. Probably in 2023, starting testing on on lending in in stage debt. Pluto. Yeah, I actually I actually want to do a thing where we we launch the derived assets in like an offline mode, right, where you can't actually trade with it or do anything. But I just want to watch how the derived asset pool depths shift over time, like give it like a week or two of just normal traffic and normal pools and and see if the virtual pools are staying deep and they're staying very, you know, deep in size and they're not really fluctuating very much. Or is there, is it, you know, is it becoming very shallow because of some trade volume happening that's not malicious, that's just regular trade volume. Uh, and so I actually want to do some experimentation on that because I've come up with a few different implementations of of how we like measure the the amount of effect that the layer one pool has right i have a few different design ideas or implementation ideas and so i'm starting with the one that is the most conservative the one that is the most protective right 
which might be overly protective, which is the thing I'm concerned about at this point, of the, that's a real possibility, which is why I want to test out these derived virtual pool depths in production and just to see what the how the depths change from block to block and just kind of watch it for a while and see if it's behaving in a reasonable way or if, it, if it's overly sensitive and it's become really shallow too fast and and, and it basically destroys the ability for lending to exist because all the virtual pools are like really shallow all the time. That just becomes, you know, counterproductive. But I think if we start with the most conservative approach first, see how it kind of fares and then adjust if we need to. Yep, best way to do it, I think. Yep. Anyone from the audience have, uh, have questions want to come up on stage? Already been at this for like hour forty already, so won't go too much longer. But if there's people who want to come up, now's probably the time to raise your hand. And it's good conversation. I don't, I don't mind it when these things go along, yep. just because a lot, of, a lot of times, just it's like really good conversation. You know, either myself and Pluto are having some discussion or debate about something. Just it's kind of fun to hear different sides of the view. <clears throat> Shock rocket. Hey guys. Hey. Uh, a question about um sexes set up with savers uh, what that would take um, what kind of timeline that would be if that's being uh, explored uh, stuff like that I mean it's very easy to do if a, if a sex wanted to integrate with savers and provide Bitcoin or other assets whatever it's actually very easy to do <clears throat> so all you have to do is just sign a Bitcoin transaction to, to enter or exit and that's literally the only thing you have to do so uh, I can't imagine it being that difficult. I don't know if Pluto has a different viewpoint than me, but. Are there incentives for sexes to do that? I know there's, you know, for the users, obviously, big incentive. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are on sexes um, that are even being fully aware of the risks of being on a centralized exchange. They're aware of what happened with FTX and that kind of stuff, uh, still won't leave Kraken, for example. Um, they want to stay on there, but would be thrilled. I've, I've talked to them about it, about the concepts of lending and saving. They're thrilled with that idea, but still don't want to leave centralized exchange. They don't want to leave Kraken. Um, just because of, one, the work, setting up a new wallet, the risk of making that transaction, keeping track of keys, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the risks involved with that. But if they had a, you know, oh, I can just get on the, in my app or the exchange, one click, boom, I'm saving, or one click, boom, I'm lending, they'd be all for it. And I think there's a probably a pretty big audience out there that would be in that same boat. Yeah, so <clears throat> as a centralized exchange, uh, you really kind of two benefits or two reasons why you'd want to integrate with savers. One is savers um, uh, supports affiliate fees, and so with every every you know dollar you get put into savers, uh, the, the affiliate or the the uh, the sex itself can earn some kind of yield or income, which is you know incentive for them to do so. Um, the other reason why they would want to do that is by being able to to publish to people about like, oh, you can trade Bitcoin here, and also you can get Bitcoin yield. Um, that just draws more capital and revenue into their, you know, system, uh, where they can then, you know, build their build their their business in a literal sense. And so there's there's multiple incentives for them to do so. And I think it's a natural thing to happen that that we'll see a lot of this being used. I mean, like if you 
um, like take Nexo. I don't know how much it is now because it's in bear market, but like back when I last time I was talking to them, it was like, you know, 10 or $15 billion of, you know, of crypto or value or whatever. And they're constantly looking for, you know, ways to generate revenue or ways to generate uh, yield because they, they get a lot of business for just from promising customers like, hey, give us your Ethereum, give us your Bitcoin and we'll, we'll reinvest it for you and we'll, we'll find ways to get generate yield and we'll give you some sort of yield product and you don't have to worry about the mechanics of all that thing or like study different Aave and different products and different DeFi protocols and blah, 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 GBDC and all these things. We'll just take it abstract away for you. We'll do the research. We'll do the heart, the legwork and you just can sit home and, and get your yield. And so they're constantly looking for ways of getting yield. And, and then in the, right before the market went bare, we had a lot of those, those entities, such as exchanges um, like, like Nexo and BlockFi and a lot of these services were like very bullish on adding, you know, LP to Thorchain and all these other ideas. And then the market went bare, a lot of them went out of business, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But like, um, there's definitely, the drive is there, the demand is there. I think the product that we have is, will satisfy a lot of those companies and will naturally make the pools much more deep for Thorchain. That just gave me a crazy idea too. Is so the sex, yeah, they obviously have the opportunity to 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 earn an income off of this through the affiliate fee. Um, and hypothetically, like, what if they imposed a lockup period and they're taking a fee in exchange for that? What they're doing is fronting the cost of slippage, and that would be hypothetically really interesting because then the user on a sex in a really simplified environment they would just deposit one Bitcoin and their balance would be one Bitcoin uh, rather than having to have the complexity of understanding like the, the in and out fees uh, just makes me wonder if there's like a way to kind of like have that come from the sex income on the savers to kind of cover that cost for the saver and then uh, just simplify it for them. Yeah, absolutely. You like, could definitely do that with certain amounts. I, I think that'd be interesting, especially for tiers and, and things like that. You know, you, you could you could easily work out the math there for how long it takes to, uh, like, on average to get this to get the feedback for a certain deposit amount. I think that's a a great idea and something that sexes should definitely look into implementing. Yeah, I think they naturally will. It's kind of a, a no brainer in some ways. As long as they get, I mean, if we learn anything from FTX, they they get permission from their users. And they have our knowledge that, that they're <laughs> that they're taking people's Bitcoin and putting it into Thorchain savers. Like, obviously, they can't do that without informing their users. I guess that's I guess that's that's called fraud. <laughs> but yeah, if they tell a user like we're going to provide your Bitcoin into this network into Thorchain to savers and earn you a yield, then you know that's great. And then you're right. Then they can abstract away the fees that are associated with it and just you know just make them disappear for the users and make it even simpler for them. Yeah, I think that'd be super cool because it's like, I mean, obviously, I think Savers is amazing, but that's like one of the things that requires you to be a little bit more understanding, like what's actually going on, right? Because you have to understand slippage on the in and out. And if that could be abstracted away, then it's just like the simplest thing ever, right? So it'd be really cool. You could just make it so that way you can't withdraw it until the user has recouped their original position or, or you could have your own like like the sex could have their own position in it and then user allocation just kind of comes out of that allocation like it, it, there's a million different ways you could do it each with like different levels of uh of risk that that, that come with that i think but like yeah the, there's a lot of different ways to abstract that from the user and make it like a better ux 
and and sexes take huge fees on those types of things typically because there'll be like some some l1 that like the staking is nine percent or something and if you deposit on it like through the sex it's like three percent or something right so like they have a ton of margin there um and then if they could use that margin to to just offset all the in and out fees yeah Uh, yeah they could totally do that uh and they probably will i mean they'll probably gouge people to your point uh thoreau like you know we're, we're right now it's like we're like a five percent yield on bitcoin right now and they'll promise people like one percent and it'll be like a thousand times more successful than blockfi ever was <laughs> which is almost comical but yeah absolutely order you have any questions yeah i do um so I guess a year or so ago, I floated the idea of why couldn't we use some of the um, liquidity to run validators to kind of juice the yields? And I think the answer I got back then was uh, churn is a problem. And I wonder if that's still still kind of the, the case or whether we think there's... This is, are you saying using LP units as your bonding asset yeah. instead, of, instead of room? Liquidity, so use, using... Um, let's say like BSC is supposed to come online, right? So rather than just having BSC sitting there waiting to get, you know, swapped, that if the pools are deep enough, maybe take 25% and maybe there's some more rules around this about like users depositing and, and locking it up for a certain period of time, <clears throat> but using that to run a BSC validator and, and taking from that validator and putting it back into the pool. Um. Uh... Well, that would require a centralization for the first thing, because somebody has to actually run it. Somebody has to be selected to run that thing. And it also would require people's understanding and knowledge that certain percentage of their, their you know, their LP position is going to be allocated for this purpose. Yes, the idea is, I mean, there would be, you know, I don't, even, I don't know if it's worth it, but I guess my thinking is that, hey, there's capital. Can it be used? Uh, again, like, I, and I don't know the mechanics of, like, how much, how deep into the pools do you go at any one time? But um, I yeah. don't think it's that deep. <clears throat> Could someone say, yeah, I'll agree to like keep my capital locked up for one week, two weeks, a month in exchange for a little extra yield because it's actually being used rather than just sitting there being used to, to I guess, underscore or underpin a validator. BSC, ETH, any proof of stake or delegated proof of stake. Yeah, I mean, uh, this to me feels like an overcomplication and you're also introducing a significant amount of risk because you require centralized energy to be part of it, as well as you are now having external dependencies on the Thorchain network, which we've never done that before either. And for good reason, I might add. Um, I mean, if somebody wanted to fork Thorchain and effectively do what you're saying, that'd be an interesting you know, play and we'll see, if, see how okay. it works out. It was it's actually... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it was just like, hey, can we make dual use of capital that are that's sitting there, and is it worth it? Uh, this reminds me of an idea that was coming up um, when when Terra was integrated. I remember some people were pushing for, I think it was called X Luna to be a pool, and because X Luna was basically like staked a staked representation of Luna, and and similar even for like the Atom pool. Like one reason that uh, Thorchain Atom liquidity could like isn't as deep as it could be is because people want the yield they can get and the airdrops they can get elsewhere with the atom so it's like an interesting concept i think it does add uh like another layer of risks because then you're dealing with 
not really the true native asset, but some other asset. But you, yeah, maybe maybe a fork is the way to go for that. Like a like a Thor chain of yield bearing assets. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's this, a weird fixation that, that the crypto community in general has around like double dipping assets and the idea that I can take an asset and then get a yield in an asset and then take some derivative of that asset to get another yield in an asset and then do it again a third or fourth time. It's just like, like that it, to me feels fundamentally broken and that you, you can't just take a hundred dollars and get yield on a $5,000 just because, you know, whatever, I mean, you can, that's called leverage and people do that. But, um, that just to me feels like I don't know, way too yeah, risky. It's the elephant meme. Do you remember the elephant meme? No, which one's that? <laughs> I'll have to send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure somebody remembers it. Yeah, somebody, somebody shoot me a link to that elephant meme because I'd be curious about it. But like, I, I've, I've had friends who, who did this, you know, like I got a good friend of mine who's like kind of a degen and he, he kind of like there's a lot of like crypto style gambling kind of thing. And he just he just like puts himself through so many loops of like risk to get some crazy high yield on some crazy asset or whatever uh, that he just like he just ends up wrecking himself. <laughs> oftentimes, like he would like he just gets exposed to so many DeFi protocols. It's only a matter of time before one of them is just like emptied, because uh, you know that's a common thing to happen in in crypto in general, right? Is DeFi pro- products become emptied? Yeah, I, you know? I, I that. Um... I don't know. I feel this is slightly less risky because you're running like an L1 validator, like for Ethereum. Like, yeah, that's true. Like that's yeah. not going to that's not going to collapse in a sense outside the context of that person who run who actually runs the validator decides to yoink and, and run away. Yeah, it feels like as long as it's the asset secured, like the node operator can't run away with it without paying a price. Um, I don't know. It feels feels like there's something there, but may, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I, as long as it does not make a compromise on security and, and like all these kind of things, which it sounds like it would it re- require trust, it would re- re- new points of centralization, it would require like deals being made between, you know, I don't even know who's making this. Is it, is it some sort of DAO or the, the validators electing Hoder to be the validator for Binance Smart Chain or Atom or whatever the thing is? Well, I, like, I'm just, node operators are running nodes anyway, right? It would just be about adding a bond, uh, an ETH bond. I don't know the details of ETH. Um, yeah. But adding, you know, adding actual ETH to that and saying, hey, go run this anyway, you're, you're going to do it. And then when it funds migrate, you know, migrate the funds to the new address, establish a new validator, get pulled in. And... Yeah, yeah. I just, I just feel that stuff gets very unstable very quickly. Like Osmosis right. does something similar to that where they have this like super fluid staking, which they're quite proud of as a community but like to me just the whole concept is just like void of any rationale like the idea that i can provide bond and then get a yield on that even though i'm not providing any value or service because i'm a a delegate and then get something else to be able to to provide something to something else to get more yield on that it's just like it's it just the elephant uh meme that that Chad threw us at me. Just it, it, it feels like that. It's an elephant sucking its own dick with its own trunk. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, he sent me the link. It, like, the meme is it's a it's a blue elephant with his trunk going between his legs and sucking his own dick. That's what the that's what the meme is, right? 
Let's, yeah, let's be adults here. Come on, people. Let's be adults here. Come on. <laughs> and it's it's a perpetual, perpetual money machine. It's a perpetual money machine of just like an elephant sucking its own dick. Which you can't. You have to remember that, like, in order for you to make money, to make a yield, you cannot do it from sucking your own dick. Okay? It doesn't work that way. You have to get somebody else to inject something of value into your system. If there's no money, if there's no exogenous capital, there's no yield to be made. <laughs> Yeah, everyone needs to realize that any any staking design that basically just allows you to just stake somewhere and to receive some yield on it, it is literally just saying let's take let's take tokens out of the circulating supply, lock them up, and then so there's less of a circulating supply, so that it looks like the market cap is lower, so more people buy the token, so that I I as the founder of this project can go dump on all those idiots who staked early on. That's literally all staking is. Yeah, that's the reason why it exists is because it gives everybody a warm, fuzzy feeling that they're getting a yield on their on their atom tokens or whatever it might be. In reality, it's just like everybody's just licking their own nutsack and not even realizing it. Gavin, I swear, I promise well said. It, this this whole call has not been like this. I, I, I see. <laughs> Popped in at the best time. Uh, no comment. Just, just no, no, no. <laughs> This, this one has been a little bit more unhinged because we, you know, it's like screw it. These are all the Discord OGs, so we're just gonna kind of like YOLO some crazy ideas out on this call. But yeah, this has been a fun one. I know yeah, we're talking is... about elephants and fellatio here, Gavin. It's a very serious topic. Okay, we're having a very serious conversation. <laughs> no, no comment. Where's HR when you need HR? Throw. Where's HR? <laughs> is there a Thorchain HR department? The, well, maybe there should be with my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chad. The last Discord stage. I don't think I told you this, but I think the uh, the fuck counter was at eighty eight for the last Discord <laughs> stage on lending. I should hold back more than I do. I actually have to censor nah, the, uh, the transcripts to be uploaded because Pacebin does not like profanity, so I have to really? manually go in and take out all of your uh, all of your curses. Yep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I make your life so difficult, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, but in all seriousness, I got to hop to another call, but just it was it was a really productive call today. We discussed a lot of topics. Obviously, the trust wallet integration was huge. We talked about synths, we talked about removing ILP, we talked about lending, we threw around some ideas about how, you know, increasing bond providers. We talked about being able to stake to POL. Um so yeah, a lot a lot of interesting ideas, a lot of really really great things. I'm obviously just regurgitating alpha here because my boss is on stage and year end reviews are coming up. So it was other topics as well as, as Pluto was lining up for himself. <laughs> All right, guys. This is fun. I'll, uh, I got to jump now, but um, I'd right, yeah. see you Pluto. Careful. See you Pluto. Yeah, so next week All we right, should now, have that now guy. That now uh, we can talk about your interviews. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that Pluto yeah. guy, man. He shouldn't get bonuses at all. I'm telling you right now, that Pluto guy. <laughs> Pluto's talking about elephants for like two hours almost. I know. Like the whole time. <laughs> all, he's, all he's talking about is just elephant fellatios. Uh, so, so next week we should have that guy, Togrul uh, Mar. I, I should have. Pronounce his last name before I tried to say it live right there. But Togrul from Scroll.io should be on next week. The, the guy who we were talking to yesterday in conjunction with uh, the 
Solana person. So they, they should be on next week. Maybe we'll have a, a, a interesting conversation about that on, on the spaces next week. And the week after that is like, like right between the holidays. So I think we're going to probably take that week off for spaces, but yeah, next week we should have something interesting. Uh, some people from the outside of Thorchain probably like coming in and, uh, you know, us talking about the core design a little bit more. Yeah. I look forward to that one. Should be a fun one. Yeah, I know fun. the I know the invite was extended to Anatoly, the co-founder of Solana. Uh, we'll see if he actually takes the bait on that or not. He won't. He won't take the bait on that one. Yeah, he he, he's not coming. There's there's no way. <laughs> he know he knows not to stand in front of an audience of you know another chain and start shitting on it. He knows enough not to do that. <laughs> Especially Brian when his didn't argument just so weak. Well, Brian is Brian. Brian is, I guess, in some sense, he's like he's a new, he's new to the space in some ways. Like he's a new leader in a sense. Like, like uh, Anatoly understands. Like he, does anyone else hear this? Or you can hear me? Yeah, you went, you went robot voice there. Maybe just repeat the last ten seconds. Oh, sorry about that. Um, like Anatoly's been around for a while. He's been a part of a project that's that's had you know big ups and big downs, and and like he's been burned just from the process of running a, a network like this. And we all, those of us who have done it, know you know how he feels, and, and it's it's you know it's no fun sometimes. And so like he knows not to like throw shade and shit on other people, for the most part. Even in this case of what he was saying on Twitter, like his argument was just like this weird thing of like. Well, if all the computers are exploited, then all all the money is lost. I'm like, well, yeah, that's true with like every computer system on the fucking planet. Like, if I break into your house and steal your shit, like, yeah, that's okay. That's you're broke. That's, <laughs> you're broke, man. Like, it's like, oh, but your your house isn't isn't secure because if somebody breaks into your house and can steal everything, then you then you lose everything. It's like, well, yeah, that's how houses work. Yeah, that's, if there's a bank vault with 20 different doors and you have all 20 keys and the guard is sleeping, can you get up with all the money? Yeah. yeah basically, what, basically how it went. Yeah, I was like, if if you if I have your Solana keys, Anatoly, then I have your Solana, right? <laughs> yeah. And he was saying, well, you can't sign transactions because blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, dude, it doesn't even matter. Like, I can still, if I have all the Solana keys, I can move soul from Chad Thoreau's wallet into mine without requiring his signature. I can do what the hell I want. It's my network now. I can literally change. I am God. I have God mode here. I've, I can go full goblin mode on this chain and do any of the, any of the things I want to do that I can imagine because I can deploy any changes to the network that I want that I want to deploy. So it's just like, it's a silly argument. And I think he at some level he knows that and he knows not to stand in front of an audience of people and, and stand by a silly argument. So... Well, I think his point is just like it's not nothing is infallible, and like yeah, if there is like a remote code execution, like exploit and all the validators, like yeah, that is a huge concern. But like obviously, like that right. that's the case for any any network, like literally any network, right? right? So, and that's one of the things I tweeted to him. I said like you know, th- no system is perfect, and Torchain is by far the best we have. It's as simple as that. Yeah, so I, I doubt there's any any way that he comes on, but we are trying, and it would be great. I, I do think it was kind of weird that they put that in the Blockworks coverage from yesterday, but I think that's just part of the, the topical uh, style of more, more reporting clicks. nowadays. Yeah, just more clicks, more downloads, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. kind of. I, I I do feel kind of bad about that because it does, it does feel I, I, like at this point it's like oh yeah, it feels like you know we kind of baited him into that, but it's his own fault, so he's, he's got to live with it. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. He's, he started it. <laughs> I didn't think uh, I had no intention of making it into the article with that. <laughs> yeah. It, it sucks. Like you, if you're like a high profile person, like, like CZ, for example, you can't just say whatever you want because people literally look at every single one of your tweets and like, you know, analyze it and, you know, think all these, all these things about it. Like it's, it, it's gotta be an incredibly tough position being like so visible, especially as like that, the, the founder of like a huge, like retail network like that, where there's like, you know, all these people like constantly looking at you. It, it, when you're in the zeitgeist like that, I'm sure it's a very different game. So. Yeah. I remember Andre Cohen yeah. said the same thing where like he, he built a Twitter account that was super popular, had like lots of followers, like very quickly, very fast. And he was saying how much he hated it after a while, just because like, Every time he said something about some project, no matter like what it was said, like people would jump all over him or misconstrue his statements or whatever this kind of thing. So it's like it's like the more powerful you get in the Twitter sphere and the more followers you have, is like the more respect you have to have for the for that power. Yeah, I think that's something that we need to like also be practicing too, because as we put get pushed more into like the central zeitgeist which is kind of which which is the way that the things are are trending and moving like we need to be more um careful about that especially like like bandwagoning and and things like that uh you know like i mean i i do this all the time where it's like someone mentions something about like oh you know where can i swap like th- these two things or whatever and then you know re- retweet and all the all the door chats come on Right. And it, like it, it is kind of um, it is bandwagoning at some at some point. So it's like just balancing that and making sure that like, you know, we're not, um, you know, taking our like position in the in that zeitgeist like too too seriously or, or anything or actually t- taking it more seriously and just being more just being respectful to, towards everybody is just important because, you know, at, at some point people do like pick up on on your every move. And if you know, right. when we get to that point, we just got to be careful about it. I'll yeah, say. and also when somebody doesn't understand the importance of Thorchain, instead of just kicking them in the balls, uh, you know, take that as an opportunity to to explain it and educate them. And, you know, sometimes stuff on Twitter can seem like somebody's talking shit or fudding, and they're actually just confused or unaware. So a lot of those are opportunities to get new Thorch ads. That's true. It's true. All right, anything else, guys? Yeah, we're let's, good. That was let's a wrap great it up. conversation. All right, guys. Thanks for jumping on. Talk to you next week. Sweet. See you next week. Bye bye. See you guys.